Gareth had said to me that he'd started a series on songbook uh, going through the Psalms, and uh, I decided I would speak tonight in Psalms 42 and 43. Now, here's a warning. I preached on this sermon in 1995, but it was a morning service, so you wouldn't have heard it. Uh, but uh, I, I, I said I preached it B.C., before computer. Uh, and when I look back at the, the old notes I had, all little handwritten notes, at my age, they're so small of handwriting that I can't actually read them anymore, so they weren't much use to me. Uh, but anyway, but I thought I want to just recognize that for some people, the last years have been difficult. And the theme of tonight is don't give up. And they're going to read Psalms 42 and 43. So let's follow God's word and hear it together. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My fears have been my food day, my tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Midsar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. For you are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Ending there. May God bless us in the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that as we contemplate this ancient song, that you would 
help us just to pick up on this theme, don't give up, uh, and that you would speak to us and bless us and grant that we might know how to respond to your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. COVID has been just awful for so many people all around the world, hasn't it? It has affected all of us in some way or other. And I don't know about you, but with the COVID-19 inquiry opening 11 days ago, it boggles my mind to hear that it could take three years. How come? Other nations, incidentally, have had their COVID inquiries and have already reported back. And last Monday, Parliament dealt with the report that Boris Johnson had lied to Parliament and thereby the country. The state of politics in Westminster, the continuing non-functioning stormed assembly, means that we're hardly likely to be jumping with joy over politics at the moment, if we ever did. It's little wonder that there has been an increase in people's problems with mental health. One of the key findings from a report by Mind in July 2021 is, and I quote, isolation and loneliness have made people's mental health worse with young people particularly badly affected. And of course, any cursory look at the news, no matter what media you use, tells us that the world is in a very uh, sorry state indeed, and the, the psychodrama of Russia and Prigozhin and all that's been happening there in the last uh, day or two makes uh, very interesting listening to, but perhaps perplexing kind of thoughts as we think of the world in which we live. I'm very tempted to do a Holly Willoughby moment. Uh, and You know, I, I, I don't watch this morning. Uh, I've never watched it. I, I think I don't want to watch it. So apologies to those of you who do watch it and think it's great. Uh, but, you know, Holly Willoughby, right, deep breath. Firstly, are you okay? I hope so. Uh, and, you know, but quite seriously, when was the last time somebody asked you, were you really okay? When was the last time somebody even had the temerity to say to you, how are things with you spiritually? Where are you in your walk with God? Have you given up? Or are you keeping on going on? When was the last time you asked somebody that question or somebody asked that question of you? Just my opinion about dear old Holly Willoughby, that it seemed inauthentic the way she put it. Uh, I didn't actually see the program, but saw the TV clips in the news and so forth. Psalms 42 and 43 appear to me to deal with a feeling that you could clearly say is spiritual depression, if not depression without the spiritual moniker attached to it. The Psalms are attributed to the sons of Korah, and commentators generally see them as one Psalm, which is why I've taken them together as one Psalm this evening. Uh, Korah was uh, one of the Levites that King David had set aside to lead the temple worship. And although the Psalms are attributed to his sons, maybe they were a temple band. Uh, maybe, you know, they, they introduced worship and said, tonight we have the sons of Korah uh, 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 singing their new written uh, Psalm. Although it's written by a, a group or a band, 
It is written in the person, first person uh, singular. It's a reminder to me that worship is something that we come to as individuals, but is very much corporate in its nature and in its expression. And what I feel the, these words from Psalm 42 and 43 not only describe to us in terms of spiritual depression, I feel that there is an antidote to it uh, given as well. But before we come to that, I want us to look at what we might call this evening four enemies of faith in God. And the first one is this doubt. Psalm 42 that we read earlier, the second part of that in verse 3, when, where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? Let's be real here. Christians should expect that there will be times of spiritual drought and aridness and difficulty. You see, Jesus himself warned in John 16 and verse 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There's always a, a promise whenever Jesus brings a warning. In this world you will have trouble. You will have people questioning your faith. You will have bad things happening to you. You will have doubts that come your way. You will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. When, as with the psalmist, tears are our food day and night, when others, maybe even fellow Christians, begin to question the validity of our faith and we doubt our own faith, we may be tempted to question God's love for us. We may doubt His power to be present in and to change our situation to transform our lives. We've been praying, one of our grandchildren has been ill for just over a year, and we've been praying into her situation and into all that's been going on for a whole year and more, uh, and sometimes we're tempted to get so down, is there going to be any change? Is there going to be any difference? Is God going to turn up for her and for us as a family? And I can say that after a year of praying, we're just beginning to see some answers to prayer uh, and small incremental changes that are for the good for which we thank God. But the truth is that we have things that cause us doubt and questioning, and it's not a sin to have those feelings of doubt or questioning, it's just plain good honesty. Psalm 42 and verse 7, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Are there times like that in life for all of us? We can feel overwhelmed. We can feel that absolutely there's no option here, but we're going to drown, we're going to go under. Uh, and uh, we feel in a very bad place. And yet, looking back to Psalm 42, and verse 5 and 6, we'll just read verse 5. It's a chorus that's repeated, and I'll repeat it again in, in this talk. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Notice that note of confident hope. I will yet praise Him. I don't feel like praising Him now. I don't feel on top of the game spiritually, but I will yet praise Him because I'm putting my hope in Him. 
And sometimes you can only grit our teeth and hold on to the Lord and our memories of His goodness and reality. And even if we don't feel it, we need to remind ourselves that God loves us unconditionally. The Jews were great at remembering, remembering what they called God's mighty acts, the things that He had done in the past that inspired them into the future and enabled them to look back and say, God did that for us. Uh, and uh, as we come to communion tonight. Have you ever noticed that on the communion table, uh, you, you probably don't have it there all the time now, but there's the little phrase, this do in remembrance of me. And communion is always so important as an act of remembrance, thinking back 2,000 years to the cross, thinking back even before that to God planning out the course of salvation, the prophecies about the coming of Jesus into the world, and then thinking back to what Jesus did for us on the cross. This do in remembrance of me. And as we come to remember what God has done for us, I want to encourage you, as I said many a time from uh, this pulpit or lectern even, uh, that there are over 3,000 promises in Scripture to God's people. And I know I said many years ago, but I'd love to repeat it again. The Victorians had a habit of what they called promise boxes. Uh, and they had these little wooden boxes in which there were wrapped up little scrolls. And it was their practice, maybe when they were feeling a bit down, to pick out a scroll and open it up, and it'd be a verse of Scripture that contained a promise of God, and it was very real to them. Well, I remember somebody speaking about this, and they said, I'd rather have a belief in the attached promises of God, the de- uh, promises taken out of context, than not having any knowledge of the promises of God at all. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. Uh, and when doubt comes your way, keep clinging on. The second thing, and you may not feel that you can quite get it from these two Psalms, is that I, I think there's a, a sense of busyness can be an enemy of faith. Uh, verse 4 of uh, Psalm 42, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving amongst the festive throng. Well, I'm not sure I'm reading too much into it, but I think part of that for the psalmist is busyness, because busyness is a real enemy of faith. But the psalmist is really speaking of the loss of a connectedness that he once felt with God. When I was younger, I used to call it losing your first love. Uh, the, the, the idea that when you're a young Christian, you're full of enthusiasm, and then life hits you and knocks you down and all the rest, and you lose that first love. And the psalmist is saying, I've lost that sense of connectedness that I once had with God. Temple or church life was very full. He was heavily involved, even in leading crowds in worship. But now the psalmist experiences emptiness and a sense of disconnection from the Lord. And so here's a question as much for myself as it is for you. When was the last time that you sought the Lord for Himself? Not because you were coming to church or leading a group or serving in some capacity, but actually just sat down and searched and sought the Lord for yourself. I think in the early days of ministry, I sometimes struggled. I I came here 
and uh, I was preaching twice on a Sunday and once at the midweek. We had a midweek in those days, and the idea was to have a half-hour sermon, which required the same amount of preparation as for the other uh, two services on the Sunday. Uh, and before we got every member ministry going, I was doing three sermons a week, and life was busy, and all my reading of the Bible was, oh, that would make a good sermon, or that, oh, I could use that. And for some years, I missed out this idea that I need to, first of all, seek the Lord for Himself. And whatever you might do in the church, if you're involved in a youth organization or in an adult organization, if you're involved in any kind of ministry in the church, let me tell you this, unless you're being fed yourself, you'll never feed others. If you're coming to lead worship and you're so busy that you've never had time to think and prepare and to contemplate what's happening, if you're not feeding yourself, you'll never feed others. And again, part of my constant challenge over the years was this, and I, I make that challenge again. Have you developed a rhythm? And I, I like the idea that uh, you, you've begun to use the language of rhythms of grace and so forth in the congregation. I like that rhythm of life wherein we take time to read God's Word for oneself. We take time to pray uh, and to be still before God and to, you know, my day as a teenager, we call it having a personal quiet time. Uh, and we used to go around at very spiritual teenagers and say to our mates, have you had your QT today? Uh, but, uh, but have we missed out on that? Have we let old habits go to grass, or are we still doing it? Busyness is an enemy of faith. The, the third enemy of faith, I think, is fear. Psalm 42 and verses 9, 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying all day long, where is your God? And I think fear is one of the great enemies of faith, isn't it? You know, whenever we're maybe building up to have that conversation with a non-Christian friend, and they begin to highlight the suffering in the world and the, the horrible things that happened, and they turn to you and they say, where is your God? And you crumble inside, and you, you, you don't know what to say, and we crumble with fear. This idea that I think perhaps is the greatest fear of all is that God might forget us. And I'm greatly comforted by the fact that if you remember as we celebrate communion, one of the great cries of the cross was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that here is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who said, I and the Father are one. You cannot divide the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are one God. And then he says on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I understand that to mean that at that point when Jesus was bearing the wrath that we were singing about a moment ago, that when he was bearing the sins of the world, that the Father could not look upon the sun because of the ugliness and the sin of your life and mine and the world's life put on the shoulders of Jesus. And he says, why have you forgotten me? 
Why have you forsaken me? And I think for many of us, isn't that one of the great fears? We go through difficult periods. We go through times in our lives when we've been praying for things, not just for a year, but maybe years and years and years. And we, we kind of think, well, God hasn't turned up for me. Where is He? What's He doing? And we're frightened in case God has truly forgotten us. And when we take our eyes at the Lord, we can only see the problems around us, the deluge and the overwhelming uh, flood. And we, we worry that people won't see and understand what we're going through. The old song uh, from shows you my age. Uh, th those of you of a certain generation will remember Clifford T. Ward, an uh, English teacher who uh, became a songwriter. But uh, one of his lines I love is, I'm not waving, I'm drowning. Why don't you save me? And that, that kind of concept, you know, I'm not waving, I'm drowning. Why don't you save me? We're frightened that we'll be forgotten. But we have something deeper in being rightly related to God. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 9. And I love these words. He said this, we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of knowing God, of being His children. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's not about you. It's about Him. And then he says this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And I love that idea that, you know, I don't know when I became a Christian, I, I sometimes pinpointed to maybe eight years of age, but I'm, I'm sure I was probably a Christian before then. So I've been a Christian at least 63 years. And when I look back over 63 years, I don't think I can ever see a time when God has let me down. There is hope in Christ, and that hope dispels fear. Another enemy, I think, is independence. Presbyterians perhaps especially, but not uniquely, are prone to a spirit of independence, which can often lead to a spirit of control in many of our churches. We are, historically speaking, dissenters. Ulster says no. Uh, and we love to be our own people and do our own thing. But the difficulty of that is it can lead to DIY Christianity. But look at what the psalmist says again in that chorus, and forgive the oft-repeatedness of this because it is repeated three times in our reading tonight. Psalm 42, 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Our hope of salvation and forgiveness is in God alone, not by human endeavor, but by His work. Our hope for the strength that we need to cope in life is in God alone. Our hope of heaven is in God alone. We need to come to God with empty hands saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. In the old song that we used to sing years ago. You know, I've often said that being a Christian is simply telling another beggar where to find bread. And we need to move from 
independence or self-autonomy to total dependence upon the Lord. But so what? What is it that you and I should do in response to this part of the songbook of Israel, Psalms 42 and 43? I want to share with you a comment that was made by a guy who's writing I came across recently called Brian Radcliffe. And he said something I find interesting, that these Psalms 42 and 43 rebuked self-pity. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, when things are tough, I get very self-pitying, you know, and uh, usually it's my wife gets the, 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 the thick end of it, you know, or, you know I, I, need a, I need a big pavlova because I've really had a really bad day, and, you know, anyway, it was lemon meringue pie today, by the way, oh, going well. Uh, but he says we need to move from self-pity. And I want to put a quotation, I hope that Jim will have it on screen, that here is a quotation from him, a structure for responding to such times. And this is what he says, quote, first, we recognize and reject a focus totally upon ourselves. Now, let me just qualify that with some of my own thinking. It does not mean that we ignore the need for self-care, for adequate rest, for relaxation, for sleep, and so forth. If you're not getting enough sleep, you're not getting enough sleep. If you're not taking care of yourself and finding recreation or recreation, you're ignoring one of the Ten Commandments, which says that we should honor God in six days and make sure that we have a time of recreation and recreation. Uh, so it does not mean we ignore that need for self-care, but first recognize and reject a focus totally upon ourselves. It's not about me, it's about Him. Second, we remind ourselves of who God is and what He has done. As I said earlier, this table has written across the front of it, this do in remembrance of me. We remind ourselves of who God is and what He has done. The old hymn again, count your many blessings, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Have you ever really sat down and written out a list? You know, it's quite easy to have a list of all the negatives. You know, don't like this, don't like that, that hasn't happened, that hasn't happened, that should have happened, never did. But have you ever sat down and actually physically written a list out of all the blessings that God has poured into your life? And it's a cliche because the old song is an old song, but it's true. It will surprise you what the Lord has done. So, Radcliffe says, first, we recognize and reject the focus totally upon ourselves. Second, we remind ourselves of who God is and what He's done. Third, we commit to a course of action. That's so important, moving towards Him. Then he says, let the living water flow. We commit to a course of action. It might be re-establishing that personal quiet time. It might be taking time out to seek God for Himself rather than for what we're having to do in the church. It might even be skipping some spiritual activity. So we take a walk in Tullymore or wherever you take your walk up at Craigie Glen or in Orangefield Park, wherever it might be. But we commit to a course of action moving towards Him, then let the living water flow. 
In Christ, we have an opportunity to remember the past, to receive power, for, to face the present, and to conceive of hope for tomorrow. So whatever you're experiencing as a disciple of Jesus, don't give up. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So do we need to commit to a course of action? Let's begin by simply being willing to receive God's unconditional, unshakable love for us. And we may ask the worship team just to come back on platform uh, as I speak for the next moment or two. This unconditional love of God is something He wants you to meet with His love. I want to encourage you later tonight or tomorrow at some stage or whatever to, if you will, read Romans 8, 35 to 39. Uh, and uh, in those words of the Apostle Paul, you'll discover that there is nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. And uh, I've asked that the team would lead us in the song by Catherine Scott, I Belong. It's a song that reminds us that absolutely nothing in this world will ever separate us from God's love. So if you're in the feeling of giving up, the first place to go to is to Him. And let this song wash over your spirit with hope and with joy.